The text for this morning's sermon is Psalm 139, the verses 13 to 18. David confesses, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body, All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them! Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ. Until about 150 years ago, man's general worldview was that God was the creator of the world and all that is in it. Then Charles Darwin published his book, The Origin of the Species. He promoted a viewpoint that human life evolved over millions of years. Today, this is the predominant worldview held in the Western world. We might think, who cares what people believe about the origins of man? Yet what you believe about this has a profound effect on your perspective of life. It influences what you think about God and what you think about man. Those who do not see God as their creator also do not believe that he has a claim on their lives. They see themselves as autonomous beings who can do what they want with their lives. Often those who do not recognize God also do not put much value on human life. Man is just a bit more developed than the other species, but he came from them and is inherently no different than them. People with that kind of perspective can get fanatical about a Save the Whales campaign or boycott the sale of fur coming from those cute little seals. Yet they think nothing of aborting a fetus because it's just a blob of cells anyway. They feel morally justified to help someone suffering from a debilitating disease to kill themselves. After all, if your dog was sick and suffering, you'd put it out of its misery, wouldn't you? As Christians, we have a different perspective on our origins. We believe that God created this world and that he made man in his image. Man is inherently different from the animals. We were created with a body and a soul. We have the ability to think and plan, remember and imagine. 
We were made to live in relationship with other people and have the ability to communicate by mouth or in writing. We have been made moral creatures who know the difference between right and wrong. Best of all, we can know God, love Him, enjoy Him, and worship Him. I preach you the Word of God under the following theme. Praise the Lord for how we have been fearfully and wonderfully made. We'll consider how God created us, how God cares for us, and how God comforts us. Psalm 139 is a psalm of David. In it, David confesses God's greatness, and he praises him for it. You can divide this psalm into four parts of six verses each. In the verses 1 to 6, David confesses the Lord to be all-knowing. In verses 7 and 12, to be everywhere present. In verses 13 to 18, to be all-powerful. And in verses 19 to 24, to be righteous and just in his dealings with man. In this psalm, David teaches us to confess God's majesty and glory and to praise him for his wondrous works. Our text begins by stating, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. That word, for, is important. The words of our text provide the basis for the comforting truths that God knows us intimately, that he is always with us. Why can we confess these things? God knows us intimately because it was by his design that we came into being. He is always with us and cares for us because he is the one who knit us together in our mother's womb. In our text, there are two wonderfully descriptive words used to picture God's act of creating new life in the womb. The first is found in verse 13. David says that God knit me together in my mother's womb. Think of what is involved in knitting. Stitch after stitch put together according to an intricate design to make a beautiful garment. The second description of God's creative work is in verse 15. David says, I was woven together in the depths of the earth. That word woven can also be translated embroidered. It's used elsewhere to refer to the work Aholiab did in preparing the tabernacle. He was an embroiderer in blue, purple, and scarlet yarn. God embroiders us in the womb. It says something about how intricate and complex we are. Since David wrote this psalm, we've learned quite a bit more about how human life is formed. When our parents were, to get, were united together in an act of love, sperm and an egg united to form a single cell. It contained 23 chromosomes from our father and 23 from our mother. 
They carried some 15,000 genes from each. These genes, like the letters of the alphabet, spelled out everything that is unique about us. The color of our eyes, hair, and skin. Our facial features, body type, personality qualities, intelligence, and sex. Within six to eight within six to twelve hours of fertilization, that one cell split in two, and then the two into four and the four into eight. We settled into our mother's womb and began growing at a dizzying rate. Within three weeks, our heart began to beat. Within four weeks, our arms and legs appeared and our internal organs were growing. Within six weeks, our brain was fully developed. Its signals could be measured. By three months, we were moving about in our mother's womb with unique fingerprints, closed eyelids, and translucent skin. Many people don't want to acknowledge this. They view our origin as just a blob of cells. They refuse to recognize what's growing in the womb as new life. They call the developing life a fetus because they don't want to personalize it. Why? Because many times the new life God has created in them is inconvenient. People are not ready to take responsibility for a child. They speak about a mother's right to control her own body. They identify themselves as pro-choice. And so they abort the wonderful creation within them. This is so sad. It's so wrong. Why? Because God created us. He formed us. The scriptures speak repeatedly about life beginning at conception. In Job 3, in the midst of his anguish, Job cries out, Let the day perish on which I was born, and the night that said, A man is conceived. In Psalm 51, David confesses, Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Both Job and David regarded their conception as the beginning of their personhood. This is not only man's perspective on the beginnings of human life, it's also God's viewpoint. In Jeremiah 1 verse 5, the Lord says this about Jeremiah. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. God knew Jeremiah and called him to serve as prophet while still a tiny baby in his mother's womb. There's an interesting account of fetal life recorded in Luke 1, the verses 39 to 44. 
After Mary was told that she would become the mother of the Lord Jesus, she went to visit Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard her greeting, the baby in her womb leaped for joy. At that time, Elizabeth was about six months into her pregnancy. Yet her unborn child responded to the presence of his Lord, whom he would serve as herald. At a time when Jesus himself had only been conceived weeks earlier, the scriptures make it clear, life begins from conception. Our text goes on to speak about the wonderful way in which God has made us. David says, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. Have you ever stopped, beloved, to consider the marvelous way in which God has made us? Just consider our feet. God made us with a skeleton to keep us erect. In our feet, he put 52 bones that all work together to help us stand straight, to walk, to keep our balance. Our hands have 54 bones in our wrists, hands, and fingers that allow them to function effectively. One of the wise and amazing things about the way in which God created us is the way that blood flows through our bodies, carrying oxygen and food to each of our cells. Scripture tells us that our life is in the blood. Blood is amazing. God created us with platelets in our blood so that we won't bleed to death every time we cut or scrape ourselves up. When platelets flowing through your body come to an injury, they gather there, sticking to each other like glue, forming a clot. The clot plugs up the cut or scrape, so blood cannot come out. It hardens into a scab. It'll remain over the injury until new skin grows underneath. God created us with a digestive system to break down our food into fuel. A variety of different enzymes are used in our stomach and digestive tract to accomplish that task. They function together marvelously. If even one of them is missing, people can face severe problems in digesting their food. God has given us a brain which controls the whole central nervous system. Until recently, not much was known about the brain. The use of MRIs to image the brain during various activities has enhanced our understanding of how it works. What's clear is that we have been fearfully and wonderfully made. There is something that distinguishes man from the rest of the creatures God has made. God made us in his image, in his likeness. We were created good, righteous, and holy, like God is. We were given the charge to rule over the rest of God's creation. 
God created Adam out of the dust of the ground. He breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. He created us with both a body and a soul. Part of being made in the image of God is having the ability to learn and use the many other parts of God's creation. A bird can build for itself exactly the type of nest it needs. But it doesn't consider different kinds of house plans and choose its favorite one. It doesn't decorate its nest. Only to humans did God give the ability to create like he does. We are different from all the other creatures because we can have an idea of a painting or a quilt or a new computer game and then make it. Many animals, fish and birds migrate every year. They may travel great distances and do so by some instinct God has made within them. As human beings, however, we can think and plan, remember, and imagine. We can plan a holiday trip and do all the different things we planned months before. We can imagine things we've never experienced. We can think through issues and make decisions. This is unique among all God's creatures. The ability to think and reason is part of how God made us. Various animals can communicate with each other. Whales can be heard calling one another from a long distance away. But they cannot tell each other what they're thinking or what they did last week. Yet as human beings, we are able to communicate a wealth of information as well as our thoughts and our feelings. We may record our thoughts so that people can read them hundreds of years later. A lion may kill another lion, perhaps in a fight to see who is the dominant male. Does it feel bad? Does it even know the difference between right and wrong? Of course not. They're just animals. They don't know any better. Yet God gave us as human beings the knowledge of right and wrong. We are moral creatures. We've been made with a conscience that too sets us apart from the rest of God's creatures. There's one final thing that separates us from the animal kingdom. We can know God. Dogs often like those who care for them. They can be incredibly loyal. They may express their friendship by wagging their tails and licking you. But you cannot teach a dog about God. A dog cannot pray or worship. Yet God made us in his image so we could know him and love him, enjoy him and worship him. 
He made us so that we can have a relationship with Him that will last forever. The fact that God made us in His image has consequences. We need to see God as the creator of life. To praise and worship Him for how we have been fearfully and wonderfully made. We also need to see that as our Creator, God has a claim on our lives. God has made it clear that the life of every human being is valuable in His sight. He says He will require an accounting from anyone who sheds the blood of another human being. Yet, beloved, in our society, we see a disregard for human life. In Canada, some 100,000 babies are aborted each year. In the United States, the number is about 1.2 million. We can get passionate about this as a political issue. We can address it by writing to our elected MPs or signing petitions. Yet, beloved, we should not think that the sin of abortion could never take place among us. Recently, I heard from someone who talked with a girl that attended one of our Canadian Reformed schools in another part of the country. She said that there were a bunch of girls there that had abortions. This was confirmed by a comment made by a sister working in a crisis pregnancy center in that area. How's that possible, you might ask? Don't these girls know better? Well, yes, they know that abortion is wrong. That gets discussed regularly at school and in the catechism classes. But at times they feel trapped enough to do this. If their parents and their community found out about them being pregnant... This would be acknowledging that they were sexually active. It would bring shame on their family. Many young people would find it incredibly hard to speak to their parents about being pregnant. They feel incapable of raising a child. They fear that their child might be labeled because it's been born out of wedlock. The point is that because of shame or because of fear, we could be tempted to abort an unborn child. Beloved, that's why we need to know who our God is. The Lord God knows us inside out. He has a better understanding of who we are and what makes us tick than we do ourselves. The Lord knows our coming and our going. He perceives our thoughts. Before we speak a word, God knows what it'll be. His Spirit is present everywhere. Wherever we go, God is there. We cannot flee from His presence. Neither distance nor darkness can hide us from God. His hand is there to guide us. His right hand 
to hold us fast. We also need to know who we are. We are men and women, boys and girls, created in the image of God, precious in His sight. As our Creator, God has a claim on our lives. He owns us. We belong to Him. This claim has been strengthened by what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. He has redeemed us from all our sins by paying the price for them. Christ gave up His body and blood for us on the cross to purchase us as His own people, to make us His own possession. Young men and women, if you're ever faced with a so-called unwanted pregnancy, please remember who your God is and remember who you are in Him. That will give you strength to make wise decisions to God's glory and for your baby's good. Brothers and sisters, when someone confesses their sins and repents from them, forgive them and support them. When abortion occurs in our churches, the fault does not lie completely with those overcome by fear and shame. What kind of community are we if we cannot accept a repentant sinner and lovingly support him or her? It's easy to point fingers, to make judgments, especially when someone else is struggling. We need to remember that at times we are the face of God to those who go through hard times. This brings us to our second point. And we'll consider how God cares for us. After speaking about how we are fearfully and wonderfully made, David goes on to speak of God's providential care over our lives. He says in verse 16, All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. With these words, David confesses the sovereignty of God. Not only is he the almighty creator of heaven and earth and all that's in them, he also upholds and governs this world by his eternal counsel and providence. It's very important for us to realize that all that happens to us in life is under the controlling hand of God. The things that happen around us and to us are not random events that come about by chance. God has a plan for each of our lives. He brings it to fruition. As Christians, we may struggle with this, for our lives do not always run smoothly. We may face sickness or be confronted with struggles in our mental health. At times, things happen that cause much sorrow or regret. We may face the consequences of sin in our lives or struggle with loss. 
when hardships occur, we may question where God is, why he allows such struggles. The Bible talks about God's love and his care for us. And maybe that's true for other people. But I don't experience that in my life. What then, beloved? How do we reconcile God's grace and love for his children with the adversities and the struggles we at times face in our lives? How can a good God allow bad things to happen to his children? David addresses this when he says that all the days ordained for him were written in God's book before one of them came to be. It's helpful for us to realize that David was not a man without struggles in life. He underwent great hardships and adversity. The Lord anointed him king of Israel, and King Saul realized that and was jealous and sought to kill David. For years, Saul pursued David throughout the land. He hounded David so that at times he despaired. Yet through all those struggles, the Lord was near. He preserved David's life. David, like us, was a sinner. He committed adultery with Bathsheba. He tried to cover up his sin by calling Uriah home from warfare. But Uriah would not sleep with his wife while the Lord's armies were out fighting. So David sent him back into battle and gave orders that he be left vulnerable so he would be killed. Thus David murdered Uriah in order to cover up his own sin. God was angry with him. His hand was against David until he confessed his sin and repented from it. One of the consequences of David's sin was that the sword would never depart from his house. His own son Absalom rebelled against him. David was forced to flee from Jerusalem. He was mocked and cursed and reviled as he went. He did not know if this was the end of his kingship. He feared for his life. Yet the Lord delivered him. David's armies prevailed against those of Absalom. You would think that this would make David happy. Yet he suffered much grief. He mourned deeply, seeing his son killed. How did David deal with all the struggles and hardships he faced? He knew who the Lord was, that God knew him intimately and was present with him always. David knew God had a plan for his life. It included hard days and troubling times. But through it all, God would sustain him and support him. David knew that the God who cared for him was the almighty creator of heaven and earth. The all-powerful God who holds the whole world in his hands. 
That's an immense comfort for us, beloved, to know that Almighty God is always with us, that his hand will guide us, his right hand will hold us fast. The Lord God cares for us, so much so that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What we need to understand is that God often uses hard times in our lives to help us focus our lives on Him. He uses adversities and sorrow to cause us to grow in our trust, our dependence on Him. Please don't see tough times as a sign that God doesn't care about you. The opposite is true. He cares so much that he uses both times of prosperity and times of adversity to lead you into a close relationship with him. This brings us to our final point, and it will consider how God comforts us. In verses 17 and 18 of our text, David confesses how incomprehensible God is. How we cannot understand the Lord, because he is highly exalted above us in majesty and glory. David says, how precious, are your, how precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. What David is saying is that God is too great and he is too small to understand how and why God has ordered life in the way he did. Other passages in Scripture also make the point that God is far beyond our understanding. Just think of what the Lord reveals about himself in Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9. He said, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Beloved, we may not always understand God's direction over our daily lives. Yet let us wholeheartedly believe God's promise, made in Romans 8, verse 28. Paul assures us that in all things... God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. God is our faithful father. We have his promise that not a hair can fall from our heads without his will. We have his assurance that no creature will be able to separate us from his love. God's providential care covers all circumstances. It covers the whole of our lives. We are safe with him. This is clear from the words at the end of verse 18. After speaking about how incomprehensible God is, David says, When I awake, I am still with you. Despite the fact that David does not always understand God, 
or how he is at work in his life. He knows he can count on his God. David was privileged to live in close fellowship with the Lord. No matter what, he knew God was with him and that he was with God. Nobody and nothing could separate him from his faithful Lord. David ends Psalm 139 by confessing the Lord to be a righteous God. It's clear that David faced strong enemies who were seeking his life. He calls on God to show forth his justice and righteousness by slaying the wicked. David declares that he wants nothing to do with them. At the same time, David prays for God to search him and know him, to see if there was any offensive way in him. David wants to continue to live in a close relationship with the Lord. His desire is that the Lord lead him on the way everlasting. May that be our desire too. That despite all the sins we commit and all the struggles we face, the goal of our lives is to live in close communion with the Lord. To walk with Him through life. To desire His presence with us always. Two things will help us immensely in that, beloved. The first is knowing who God is. That he is the all-knowing, everywhere-present, all-powerful God. A God who will judge the wicked, but who shows forth his grace and mercy on those who fear him. The second thing we need to know is who we are. That we are fearfully and wonderfully made that we are God's image bearers, renewed by Christ, redeemed by Christ, and renewed by the Spirit, and able to love God and serve Him, to enjoy living in close fellowship with Him. If we understand who God is and who we are, then we can only respond by praising and worshiping the Lord. Ultimately, that is the purpose of our lives. Thus, let us glorify God for all his wonderful works and rejoice in his grace towards us. Let us walk with him on the way everlasting and thus enjoy his presence forever. Amen.